Welcome. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking. How you been? Good. Not too yeah. bad. In the age of remote learning with our students. <laughs> ah, tell me about that. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically this year, just overall, how do I feel about it? Overall. Oh, <laughs> okay, great. So um, I think right now it's the safest uh, avenue for students, but it's still not the most ideal situation for learning. Um, I do like how we have more of a plan than when the first pandemic first happened and uh, there was no real plan and there was no harm. And so from March until June, um, there probably was a lot of learning loss just because there was no real plan for instruction. And so going into this school year, uh, although I think we should have gotten the heads up a little earlier, but it is what it is. We got the heads up in August, the beginning of August that we were going remote. So it still gave us a month to plan around remote learning for our schools. And so uh, most schools, their schedules, albeit remote, it mimics the school day. Okay. So at least we have that. Uh, we're emphasizing to parents and students that we do expect them to participate in terms of instruction and learning and engagement. Um, and they are getting grades based on their participation. So, I mean, it's, it's still difficult, but it's better than what it was in March. So. Okay. How long have you been a principal? I've been a principal, well, I've been in administration since July of 2012. I became an acting principal in 2014. And so essentially I've been a principal since 2014, but in administration since 2012. But I've been in education um, forever. So graduated from DePaul um, and immediately went into teaching on the west side of Chicago. And so that happened in December of 1997. So, yeah. What school did you first teach at on the West Side? Oh, first school that I taught at, I taught third grade for a year and a half at Horatio May Academy, um, which I absolutely hated teaching third grade. And so in 1999, I went directly across the street to teach middle school. So my gift is really with middle school, high schoolers. I just connect and gel uh, much better with those populations of uh, children or young adults. So yeah, what, what, so that's the bulk of my career. What's, what's different about teaching third graders for you? Oh, third grade, there's no rationalizing with a little kid. Ah. With fifth through up, you can reach them through uh, various ways. So, for example, um, I'm a pretty jazzy dresser. And so the girls in middle school loved me if for nothing but fashion. So that was the first way to connect with them. And then of course they want those things. So then you talk to them on a real level about achieving those things through, you know, just hard work and you relying on uh, self, you know, to get those things. So I think the connection with the girls were real um, and talking about college, talking about sororities, they wanted to hear it. And even when um, my middle school students, because our school turned to a middle high school, so some of them stayed at our high school. 
well, they would come down on their lunch periods just to kind of commune and talk with me just about life and, and really thank me for instruction because they were like, Ms. Dobbins, the stuff you're teaching, you taught us, it's a breeze in high school. So that was encouraging to hear. And then even the, the black boys, um, it was really about finding things that they were interested in. So uh, I find that most people think that black boys are uh, incapable or just uh, can't be into literacy, can't read and do all these things. And I found that you have to tap into what they like, period. And so with me, uh, one of the authors that I use with middle school boys and to talk about this whole idea in a black family was Richard Wright. And so uh, we would read snippets and I remember one uh, snippet was when he talked about he was so hungry that when he would, you know, go to the water fountain and he drank so much water to feel full. Wow. And, and so the kids being able to connect to that, right? Or it was another where he had a, a nickel or a quarter or something and he walked to the store by himself to get some vanilla wafers. And he said he would just man reveling eating those vanilla wafers walking home because he didn't want to share them with anybody <laughs> you know because but so those type of stories draw children in and so i think as a literature person just always making sure that you know your audience and it's it's funny that cps is now trying to focus on this whole equity lens um because you have a lot of um non-black people that are teaching our black children and other, but I like to focus really on black children, um, even though, and, and because I'm a black woman, but uh, research has shown kids of color, in particular black kids, black males suspended all the time, put out the class all the time. Also this same group of children, they're uh, less likely to receive instruction or content material at their grade level or above because these teachers whomever they are and they could be black but for sure mostly non-blacks are giving them these materials because of what they think about them mm -hmm. so you know now cps is really pushing this anti-racist uh thing where we have to look at our biases you know, so then that those implicit biases that we have in some are not so implicit, but what do we really think about children and how that comes through our instruction or even how we interact? You know, the over-friendly teachers that are super friendly, but they're not teaching their kids anything because they just want to be cool with them to not rock the boat. So um, I'm very uh, proud of the direction that CPS is going in with us as administrators and teachers in really talking about this and really putting a concerted effort to get more resources that kids can connect to. Because it's been around. It's not that our kids can't read or they can't engage. It just hasn't been there for them. Yeah, so. it has to be something that keeps them engaged, like you were saying earlier. Um, how many male black teachers are there? Do you know? That's a great question. I don't know the numbers, but I can give you my take on it. Um, in elementary schools, you don't find that many black male teachers. Uh, you would probably find more in high school 
right? Is you just would. But even then, I feel like because there are some cultural miscues and things that happen. So for example, in CPS, where there used to be, because people have mishandled children, they are very strict with everything. So uh, where people may elevate their voices, right? And sometimes in black families, in non-white families, voices are elevated, kids are talked to uh, a little differently. Um, so I think when you have males that are used to being an authority figure and they may raise their voice, they don't run a risk of, they don't want to run a risk of getting written up or losing their job for doing things. Or if you have to say, hey, come here, I need to talk to you, and you may, you know, nudge a kid or touch them. All of that stuff is off the table. You cannot have any of those interactions. So I think given the current climate of where we are, uh, those things lend itself to uh, there's no incentive for Black men to teach unless they're fully supported. And let's say if there was a level of aggression that happens that maybe it should be understood, it should be understood with context versus saying, oh, you're going to lose your job or, you know. So I think um, that has happened. Um, I do know that CPS is going towards restorative conversations. And so people that are into counseling and mentoring, they probably have been doing these things all anytime. Anyway, when you talk about having students self-correct and having them looking at what are some of those issues, uh, but to be honest, a lot of people haven't bought into restorative practices like they need to, even though it's a great thing, but that's something that has to start, I would say, even in the home <laughs> as early as two or three. up in CPS, Chicago Public Schools, I don't recall many, having many uh, Black teachers that were men mm -hmm. at all. Yep. When I lived in the South, I saw it all the time. Uh, I had, who did I have? I had Mr. Clark, Mr. Brent, Mr. Carpenter. I had so many different black teachers down there. And uh, seeing that you saw the level of respect also that the kids would have for the male figure within the classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When that period in the 90s, the early 90s, while I was down there, the, the, key, the learning uh, was very, well, not very, but it was, I think a magnet school here would have been their regular, would have been their regular school, like advanced classes. All that was just normal stuff for them. Uh, yeah. But they did have black teachers while I, when I was there. When I came back up here and I got into school, I didn't, I didn't, I don't recall seeing many male, many right. male, I think until about high school. Yeah, high school is it. And I say even today, and I say this even around my white colleagues, my white principal friends, my white teacher friends, because I'm not here to make anybody comfortable. I speak in my truth and I listen in their truth respectfully. Every kid, every kid of color, but every black child deserves a black teacher and especially black male teachers. Black males need to see that there are black men that are doing this job, that care deeply and can impart some knowledge. So I do think um, that there has to be some work done to recruit 
uh, more black men to go in the field of education because you will still you will see a lot of black men that are like the support. In, in other words, like security. Um, they may be a seeker. A seeker is made of the person that works as an assistant to the special education teacher. And black men can have so much more impact. Or you saw them as PE teachers. Yeah. Which we know how people think of PE teachers. Well, we know that PE teachers can be mentors and you know silent partners, but I'm talking about straight intellect. There are some black men that can do a phenomenal job. Um, so I think that the district just working on uh, with other organizations like 100 Black Men and just different organizations to try to encourage black men and men of color that represent the students in CPS to come into the field because there has to be a connection. Mm -hmm. That's very important that uh, we ha we do have more male teachers so that the, the young men and the young women do see that and they have yeah. their understanding. Also, that level of authority and security for having a male teacher around, uh, having the presence of that uh, is impactful for the classrooms and, and for, for the schools in general. Mm -hmm. um, I was asked to do some substitute teaching like once or twice. I don't know why they picked me, why, why the hell somebody would pick me. But I, I enjoyed it. It was pretty cool. Like I'm not a teacher. I know I don't have a degree for it or anything. But mm -hmm. um, they was like, you 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 would probably do well. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why would you say that? They said, well, just come to the school and check it out. So I did it, and the kids they were very, they were very responsive to me. And I wasn't ex I was expecting it to be like wow, just like wild and chaotic because I was a substitute because I know sure. how mm -hmm. I acted, you know, towards teachers mm -hmm. and everything, uh, when a real teacher wasn't there. But they were they were very receptive, um, and they 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 had asked me to come back to uh, come back and teach again for them. So yeah, um, I had fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and then it's being able to hear thing, especially, but see, that's because you created a rapport. You you know you built a rapport with the students. They knew that you were cool, but they knew that you weren't going to play. Yeah. with them. And I think that kids, even with regular teachers, if they see someone that they know a couple of things, especially on I'm speaking more of a middle school, high school mindset. Kids are so smart and intelligent. They know immediately like most young adults when someone cares and when someone does not care. And so that can trigger a lot of the behaviors, but also if they know that they can kind of get over on you, they are because they're young adults and that's what they do. Yeah. So even with my teachers, I try to encourage them. And I say it in a joking way, but it's true. When they are frustrated with middle school students and I'll say, middle school is that great that if you can uh, adequately, efficiently, effectively teach middle school, you can teach any grade level. But the thing with middle school students, they live to make you quit. <laughs> and if you can understand that they are going to test you to that level, and if you come in, your fresh blood, that first month to 90 days, they take bets on who can quit, who's going to quit. Wow. I think that that was the way we were. That was the way uh, my students was when I was 
fresh in teaching, but I let my students know I'm here from the long haul. I grew up in the same uh, atmosphere that you grew up in. And so let me talk about that for a little bit. I love middle school, but middle school, I had to uh, build a connection that you're talking about you had with the subs. So for me, I remember I was struggling with middle school. It just wasn't easy for me with middle schoolers. And I remember going home, telling my mother about these, this eighth grade class that I had. Mm -hmm. And she said, Annie, that's my nickname. She says, do they know you? And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, they know me. I told them that I graduated from DePaul. I'm working on my master's at Chicago State. And she said, excuse my language. That don't mean shit to them. She said, do they know you? Yeah. And so she went in a closet. She pulled out all this stuff that she had from my childhood. So my mother had all my grades from high school. She had all my grades from college. She had all my awards, my certificates, and she had like family pictures. Mm -hmm. She said, try this with them. Let them know that you grew up in the hood, even though you're not on the west side, you grew up on the south side, on the low end, single mom, five kids, welfare. Talk about those things and see how things change. And my mother, who has a 11, didn't even graduate from high school, but that knowledge that she shared was more than I could have gotten from a DePaul, from a Chicago state, because it worked. Yeah. instantly because then the students didn't see me as an adult on the pedestal and that's the thing about teaching kids think that we're like many gods yeah. they're powered like it's so unattainable but then when you bring it back to their level like no I'm just like you yeah. I'm really just like you yeah. some of your circumstances and that really that really changed the dynamic that I had with middle school I, students I think that's what did it for me too when I when I start when I did the substitute teaching was because I was I connected with them originally before mm -hmm. I just came in and just started saying this is what your task is or y'all whatever whatever y'all gotta do. I came in, I said what's up to everybody. Um and I told them who I was, where I was from, and, and then I told them we're gonna we're gonna get along and we're gonna try to work this out and we're gonna make the best of it while we're here. Um uh, I also did that with mentoring, right? Um I did that what, 10, 12 years at one point straight and then uh, in and out since then. And I think that's one of the best things to do is to not have that mis that have that uh, separation. They have to be able to connect to you. Because yeah. for me, talking to them openly about my life allowed them to open up to me and be more comfortable with me. Um, I know when I first started doing the mentorship, it was it was crazy to hear how kids would say stuff like, "I wish you was my dad. Uh, I wish you was my brother. I wish you you were my uncle." And I wish you could, well, well, I could go home with you, you know, in hearing that was like, man, I'm really doing yeah. a good service to these kids. But at the same time, there's so much missing in their own personal lives that they actually need, you know, and, and as much change as you try to provide for them, there's still this world that they have to live in, you know. Yeah, that they go home to even yeah. after all the great discussion, yeah. after all the great coaching. Yeah. You know, they uh, some of these kids are going home to a terrible situation, which I think is the thing that our CEO of schools was talking about with our students, you know, and even though we know we're in a pandemic, we really need to think about how we can at least start trying to have these kids back into the school. And I think the pandemic 
has really brought out how important the school is as a resource. It, it goes beyond the four walls of just teaching and learning. The school is so much more, even for that kid that presents him or herself as a challenge every day. You know, um, and then what I tell my teachers, when you're taking off, that kid that you think is a problem comes every day ready because even though they cause you whatever misery you think they're causing, they need the school, which is why they come. They're not not coming. So it's something that they're missing that they're hoping that we could provide. So I think the biggest word for me with my staff and even myself is constant how can I show genuine empathy for these students? Not sympathy, but empathy and understanding that even though I came from a single family home, my mother was a protector and it was just certain things that just did not happen to me. And these children have experienced things that some of us have never, will never experience. And just acknowledging and understanding that and not just saying, well, every day they don't come with supplies. Well, guess what? Supplies don't cost much. We have those on site. So those are easy things that we can give kids, even if we have to give them to them every day, yeah. give it to them. You know, it's not hurting us. We have those resources. So I think just um, really changing mindsets and, and folks reevaluating why are we doing this work with the understanding that the kids are at different, they come at different levels. Sometimes you have kids that are ready and they have great home lives. And then you get the kid that does not, you know, but you still got to treat them with the same level of respect and dignity. You still want them to want to come to school. Yeah, the mentorship really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff because, you know, I grew up on the South side of 62nd and Woodlawn or that community. Um, 87th and Jeffrey, I grew up over there. Um, growing up, seeing what I saw, and I know some of these kids see the same stuff, but some of them have it even worse than I did. Um, and being able to have that understanding of, of where it's coming from and why they need the escape and why they choose to be around you and why they come to, to school or the after school programs and things like that. The reason why they come, you know, they're trying, they're, they're looking for that outlet. They need it. You know, that some of them do have a real bad, miserable home life and they don't enjoy it. You know what I mean? Uh, to, to hear kids tell me that, hey, I wish I could just go home with you. Could you adopt me? Hearing that is, 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 it's, it's revealing. It's hurtful at the same time. Cause it's like, yo, what's, what's really going on to the point that a kid would rather be at home with me than in their own house. And I found out one of the kids, I know I was doing uh, some mentor work with, he was having a real bad, um, he had a real bad home life. And when, I, when I went over there to tell the mother how great he was at some of the stuff that he was doing. And I said, I, I'll pay for him to get to this other program. Mm -hmm. I need you to be more supportive of it. But when I went to go tell her that when I saw her, I was like, oh man, I see why you want, I see why you don't like com coming home, bro. Mm -hmm. I see why you don't like coming home. Mm -hmm. he was, she was very angry uh, all the time. Uh, she was she was neglectful towards him. She really didn't, you know what I mean. I, the little the older sister was the one taking care of them because she really wasn't like involved in their life. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a it was a really bad situation. I, I don't want to like talk down about her, but it was mm -hmm. really bad. But this kid was special. This 
kid was special. He was really, really good at math early, early. Uh, there was a guy that, uh, that was a teacher. I think he did uh, physics or something like that. And this kid loved that stuff. And he was doing well. He was doing well. And I was like, hey, I'll pay for the program. Even when I told her about the program, and I don't have no money. I, don't have, I was like, I'll pay for it. I just need you to be supportive of it. Want to make sure he gets there. He gets yes, the I want. I wanted to make sure he stayed encouraged because he liked it. He enjoyed it. The teachers thought thought highly of him because they was like, we don't have many kids in his class that are ten years old, eleven years old that mm -hmm. want to sit here and do physics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they you can I mean? actually do it <laughs> and thrive in doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and he was he was good at it. And I told him like, hey, I'll pay for the program, but I just need you to be more active. I need you to pay more attention to your child. Because what he sees before he gets home to you, once he leaves here, there's ample opportunity for him to dip off into something uh, mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. There's ample opportunity for him to, to, to be hurt or killed or anything happens to That's him. That's what happens in middle school. Yeah. We see that in middle school and high school, that as soon as the kid is able to fry an egg, make a sandwich, you know, fend for themselves in the least amount, that parents tend to become more hands-off. And I contend that's when parents need to be more hands-on. You need to know what your children are doing. These streets are not, well, maybe they are the same streets, but it's just through social media, it's just pronounced that these streets are not friendly yeah. for anyone aimlessly. And um, we just see a lot of freedom for these middle schoolers and high schoolers getting into stuff or being targeted for stuff that they're not even clear about. Yeah. You know, they, they end up getting into stuff and they don't know people, these grown adults. And then now you're starting to see kids 12 years old murdered in the alley, 13 murdered, 14, 15, like the, the, the freshmen and sophomores that have been killed, the eighth graders graduating that have been killed. Yeah. That is insane to me. We are failing children. We are failing them miserably. And I mean, just as a whole collective, you know, um, because that shouldn't happen. It takes a village to raise a child. Um, and then someone told me uh, when I was doing a mentor work, he said, it used to be a time where that was true. Mm -hmm. Now that we haven't been raising the children, they've turned around, and they start to burn down the village. Mm -hmm. He said, it's been like that for a while. We're just acting like it's not happening because the men aren't being men, mm -hmm. and then some of the women aren't being women either. And that, that doesn't mean everybody, but he, I was paying attention to what he was saying. He was just really just conveying the message of a lot of our men are ended up locked up or dead. And the ones that are available to help, they're turning a blind eye. They're not paying attention yeah. to, what's, to what's going on. And for me, that, that made a lot of sense, but it encouraged me to be more involved, not just with mental work. Like even when I'm walking down the street, young man, pull your pants up or Mm -hmm. Like, hey, can you guys keep the noise? I, I kind of loud. Just different things to, to say to them because, in certain instances, from what I've seen, they actually want someone to tell them that they're doing wrong. They don't want to be just out here reckless all the, all the damn time. But it's because of the situation that they're in. That's why they do it. Mm -hmm. So take me back. You grew up on a low end. Talk about that. Yeah, I grew up. Let me go way back. Yeah, all the way, man. I grew back, I grew up, uh, we grew up around that 40th and Lake Park area, Oakenwall. And so in the late 80s, early 90s, they 
moved all the people that lived from like 40th to 43rd. It was high rises all along the lakefront. And in, I'm going to say it was the 80s. It wasn't even the 90s. It was the 80s. Mid 80s, they moved everyone out and they imploded those buildings. Uh, it was on TV because they just dropped and it, it was just dust. So from moving over there, which I can remember living over in that area, we loved it. Everybody was family. Uh, I can remember my mama having car parties and everybody would go from this building on 39th and Lake Park to 42nd. It was like family. So then everybody moved to different places. So the places you might've had some people that moved to Robert Taylor, the Ickies, uh, Ida B. Wells, which is where my mom moved. So then from fifth grade up until high school, maybe a, a year or two throughout, we lived in the Ida B. Wells and it was just different. It was different because I'm going to assume that we liked where we were, for so long and then it just seemed like the people were different like you saw but it couldn't it could have been that the times were changing mm -hmm. because then oh my gosh the drugs seeing the drug dealing the gang banging the drive-by shootings it was rampant and I can remember because everybody loved my mom because she could bake so you know little drug dealers Miss Dobbins, you gonna make us a cake, blah, blah, blah. She was friendly, she would make them cakes, you know, and she was just, she was the keep the peace lady. Uh, but I can remember when something was going down in the hood, they would warn the whole hood, yes. get in the house before six o'clock and yes. don't come back out to the next day. And yes. it, everybody would adhere and it would be going down. You'd be here and shooting, you would, it was insane. Um, and I didn't understand that. Um, I was one of the ones, I was my friends, uh, like most of us had friends that either were drug dealers or was into that stuff or dated those type of people. I was too nervous and afraid for any of that. So I pretty much was kind of solo dolo. Uh, when I went to high school, my friends in high school, we were more like-minded. So we would travel and go outside of the community when I could afford it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I would stay over at their places. Maybe they live like 80-something uh, over West or wherever they live, but I wouldn't be in my community. Um, and honestly, I was a bookworm. I was the odd man out. And even within my family, my family, we we're, we grew up together, but we're all distinctly different, which is interesting. Um, but growing up in the hood, it, it was it was brutal. And you still never I never realized how poor I was until I went to college <laughs> and I saw what wealth looked like. I mean, I thought we were just fine, you know, because my mom didn't ask anybody for anything. But I also know when I got to college, right, I'm around people that are much different from me. And they're talking about their trip, their vacation to Martha's Vineyard. Or they're talking about their Italian vacation, not even Jamaica or anything like that. Like they've gone to some exquisite places that cost money. Yeah. You know, they've gone to Cape Town and here these people aren't even 24, you yeah. know, and, and my trip 
was Louisiana, you know, or Midwest road trips, you know. So it, it, that, it, it, it woke my eyes up to that. But I would say even at 16, I was fortunate enough to, I secured a job at an investment firm. Okay. And that changed my mindset about want. You know, first of all, I always knew that I wanted more than a hood. I always knew that. And I had great teachers. That's why I'm saying all kids, Black kids deserve a great Black teacher and mentors and influencers. Because from the time that I was in grade school, I was smart. The teachers are like, you can do it. You're going to be awesome. The sky's the limit. That was always told to me. So growing up, you know, you, you, people would see, or they would tell me about programs. So this was a city of Chicago program. It was the summer finance Institute and they picked 50 high schoolers from the CPS system. And I was one of the 50 and it was like maybe six people from Dunbar. And we went and they worked at like Smith Barney, uh, Merrill Lynch, Arthur Anderson, all those companies that half of them are still not even around today, but I was so nervous because the company that I worked for was so small that they only took me. Everybody else, there was at least three or four of them working together. So, you know, they could ride together. My company was at the Civic Opera House building. I had to get there and it was just me. And I was the only African-American at this company. It was a small company, Weiss Peck and Gray Investments. But that was the best opportunity for me because after that six week program, everybody else, they lost their jobs. This company extended me a job for my senior year for work study. And they paid me back in the day. That's how old I am. Minimum wage was like $5 an hour. They upped my salary from $5 an hour to $8 an hour my senior year. So I was making way more money than my friends who were working at Jewels. Uh, what my brother was at White Castle and all these places. But it also relieved the stress of my mom because she didn't have to pay for my bus car. She didn't have to pay for my personals and incidentals. She didn't pay for prom. She didn't pay for dresses. I was able to do all of that. So I was blessed. But also socially, that was the first time I ever interacted with white folks and on a professional level. And it was very interesting because they were very sweet to me, but they loved Trump. And they hated, they hated Clinton. And I remember the election time and they were, their faces were pink because they were just pissed. But I'm too young to realize why I'm a kid, you know, but, but they were always generous to me as the black girl. Never heard them say anything off color, you know, would send limos to pick me up in the hood on 39th Street. Really? Go to events. And my friends, my friends would be like, can I go? And in fact, they gave me tickets to the Sox game when it was what? Comiskey? Comiskey? It was still Comiskey Park. And we had these tickets and we could eat whatever we want. And it was like the fancy food. And my girlfriends still talk about it today because we were able to eat and drink. And they were just like, man, Annie, you always had the best experiences. So I just think about 
had not a teacher recommended me to do that program, I wouldn't have done it. You know, so I just think about how important that is. And taking it and finding and having that exposure was key for you, right? Yeah. And at that point, you get to see how the world works uh, outside of your community. Um, I was one of those too. I was a traveler too. Like I, I, I'm from, I might be from one area, but I used to move, try to move around the city, go up north and do all types of stuff because staying in the same area with, with the same people doing the same thing every day, it just became that repetition that I just didn't like. And I was always searching and trying to find something different because there was an inspiration to that for me. That's it was inspiring to know that I could see different people and there's different restaurants and there's different places to go besides the, the things that I was being shown. Uh, and a lot of us, we do grow up in a box, right? We yeah. just take what we see and we say, that's life. You know, the sky is blue and that's it. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more to life uh, and for these kids if we give them the opportunity to, to expand their mind through books, through television, through trips. Do, 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 they, do you guys still take trips uh, in CPS? We do, but because of the age of COVID. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we do. And I like I tell my teachers, the onus is on them to find those opportunities and those trips for them. So I have, of course, you have people that are great at doing that. They find experiences. I mean, my music teacher, he took the kids. Uh, he, We had a pop a, a partnership with the Chicago Opera. And so our kids got a chance, middle schoolers, to experience opera. Now, you know, some may not like it, but we like the fact that we're exposing them to these things yeah. and, and for them to gain an appreciation of the art. You yeah. may not like it, but at least you have the exposure because it's nothing like being around a whole bunch of people and, and everybody is like, oh, I've done this or I've seen this and you can't contribute. And certain things you just won't be able to contribute to. But here's the thing. If we can provide those opportunities to become more well-rounded, to become more knowledgeable of things, then I think we should do it if it's in our power to do it. Yeah, it's definitely, you're empowering kids and you're giving them the the experience of being able to see and do more things. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely needed. Um, I remember when we would when we were in uh, school, we went to I think we did go to we did go to the opera house one time. Yeah. Uh, we went we went to like a, a farm one year. We did so many different things, man. And then you got to see how how everything else worked outside of, outside of your environment. And it was very it was very inspiring because it was just like okay, I don't have to just be uh, be a rapper. I don't have to be a basketball player. I don't have to do all this stuff. Um, this regular stuff that everybody's talking about. I can be a doctor. I think they took us to a doctor's office once, one time before. We got to go see a, a lawyer's office, things like that. Yeah, those experiences are very real. And it was what it brought, and, and I had already knew this, but it was interesting how even within Chicago, the kids just don't travel. They don't know anything. No. We took kids to the House of Blues and we had this show that they had seen and it was like uh, these African drummers. And then we also went for a jazz set and we were like, we don't know how they are gonna respond, but they absolutely loved it because they drew them in. And I think when music is the perfect, perfect, perfect topic to draw children in because you make the connection of even how hip hop connects to music 
that was out 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and just being able to make that connection and see it through the centuries, um, the kids were intrigued by that, you know, and, and they were like, oh, wow. And there are so many other components to music than just being the artist that performs on the stage, yeah. I think, um, sheds light for the students that may not be, that they may be shy, but they have talent in writing. You know, they're like poets, but they don't want to perform. Yeah. So I think that that is, is just key, just exposure, exposure, exposure for me. Yeah, yeah. Do you play any instruments? I do not. I wanted to play the piano. Really? Because I had a teacher in fourth grade, Miss Annie Hildreth, and that Black woman played the piano every morning. So when we would come in the classroom, she would always, she'd be playing for like five minutes. And I just thought that it was just the most wonderful thing in the world. So, yeah. The most we got in grade school was that damn flute. You know, that we'd, we'd have those people that would come in and teach us the flute. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But um, the piano. Okay. Yeah. My mom tried to get me uh, into gu guitar classes when I was young. Uh -huh. I did not take to it. <laughs> and it was more so for me out of anger because I didn't want to. Like I wanted to be playing basketball mm -hmm. or I wanted to be doing boxing or, or actually, and I can't forget art, right? Because I grew up doing art. So mm -hmm. art was my thing. And it, it was, it really bothered me so much that she would have me doing something that I didn't want to do versus something I, I wanted to do. So mm -hmm. instead of us spending the money on a guitar, I was like, why not just put me in an art school or let me take some art classes somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. And she never did, so she, it was a guitar. Mm -hmm. And I maybe for what, a couple months I did that. Um, and she got mad and she, she was like, I'm paying for these classes. I was like, why are you paying for it? Like, why not just, yeah. Why not do something that I want to do? Like, I want to do art. Like, art is my thing. Like, let me do that. And we argued over and we argued over and we argued over. And then the teacher, I just told the teacher one day when he was at uh, at my aunt's house. I was like, man, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. He was like, what? I was like, I really don't want to. I really don't want to learn how to play. He's like, you're doing all right. I was like, I don't want I don't want to. Do, I don't want to learn. It. I was like, I could probably do better if I wanted to. I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to do this. He's like, well, you need to tell your mom that. I'm like, she ain't going to listen to me. You're going to have to tell her. You're going to have to tell her. And he was like, you sure you want me to tell her? I was like, I, if you tell her, she'll definitely know that I don't want to do it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like me telling her isn't going to do it. Yeah. Nah, she's not going to listen to me. She wants she wants me to continue to pay for, uh, take these classes. Mm -hmm. So what he did was he went and told my mom. And then she called he, he, uh she called me in and she was like, you don't want to, you really don't want to do it. It's like, I've been telling you that for forever. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. I don't like it. I don't like it. And he took his guitar and he left. <laughs> so that's one of the things thinking about programming for our students, mm -hmm. middle school students, and it breaks my heart. So we do interest surveys because we want to bring programs that our students want to do. Yeah. And if they say something and we'll do our best to try to find somebody who can do it. And then sometimes there's just certain parameters. There's nobody that does this. So like, we know that our kids like anime. So we're trying to find, you know, someone. And we also have a partnership through Loyola. So we, a lot of the times look at those students. 
Well, some kids wanted to do coding, you know, um, some kids, they want to go into architect and engineering. So we're always trying to survey them to see what they want and bring the programs that we can externally to them. Because of course, during the school day, uh, there's only so much money for so much programming in terms of your resource teachers, right? So my school is a small school. It's only, it's about 140 kids. So you're not going to get a whole bunch of money for uh, arts programs. So we have music, we have PE, um, and then we do like some SEL, social emotional learning, counseling type things. And then we do FUSE, which is a program through Northwestern where the kids kind of do science, you know, online. Well, now it's all online, but when we were during the school day, they could pick online or they could do hands-on experiment and they get to choose the type of experiments they want to do. So the teacher would just kind of set up. Uh, this week, we have like six different experiments and they get to pick the one that they wanted to work on. Um, so I think giving them choice uh, is key. And so our school is a personalized learning school. So even with instruction, uh, the kids uh, are completing a learner's profile, which if the kids fill it out and they fill it out completely, this gives the teachers and anybody who's looking at this information on the students. So the questions for the students range on what's their favorite subject, why? What's their least favorite subject, why? How do you best learn? What do you like a teacher to do? Like really tapping into them as individuals. And the goal is for the teachers to, and we know you can't take every single thing, but when you're doing this lesson, you need to consider that you may have 10 kids that are kinesthetic. Well, why are you doing a stand and deliver lecture? And then you want to know why they're not interested. So really uh, using that information find instruction um, that can benefit the students uh, in a way that they feel like they have a voice and that somebody has listened to them. And it's not easy, but I mean, it's just a way of education. If, they, if people are not there, they need to get there. You have to include the student voice in how best they learn mm -hmm. and what's best for them in, in these, you know, learning situations, so. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Places you've traveled, where have you been? Oh my gosh, um, I've been statewide. I've gone no, no, to, no, no. well, that's important too now. We can go out the country, but um, I've gone to your typical Jamaica, Aruba, Curacao. My best trip was South Africa. Um, the trip that we were planning was Amsterdam and London. Uh, and last year I went to Greece. Okay. So, okay. Oh my gosh. So that trip was amazing. It was my friend's 40th birthday. So that went a lot of planning went into that trip. Okay. A lot of planning and money. Yes. So that trip though, what I enjoyed about that trip is that we went to Victoria Falls, we went to Joburg, uh, and then we went to Cape Town. So we spent in each place, we were there for about 24 days. Okay. And so we traveled, we got there. And when I tell you um, Victoria Falls and 
doing the safaris were the best, but also just the beauty of like they have all these gardens that you could go visit in all of these beautiful spaces uh, that you could go visit in South Africa. And I remember this when I was telling people because it's interesting to me about Black folks and it, it, it gets on my last nerve. Black folks, we're Western, we're Westernized. So we are so quick to want to go and, and no disrespect to these countries, but we always want to go to European places. We just do. We just do. Oh, it's just, you know, I, I got to go to France. I got to go to London. That's, that's what we're being shown. And I was never interested in that. So I don't know. We're being shown, right? Every time I, we look on TV, I, France, yeah. Italy, like yeah. that's, what they, that's what we're being shown. And because no one else around us, us have traveled growing up, that's that's what they know. Yeah. That's, or they don't know anything because so they know. That's why I say that it's important to have people who know who we are to yeah. be your teachers. That's why I'm a proponent of black teachers um, that are in tune with their blackness because I think you get a whole other level. And what's interesting to me is, like you said, that's what we're shown. But oath on the other side. There was tons of white people there from other countries because they want to know who Absolutely. we are. Absolutely. And so I just find that is that that's the irony in that, you know, that they instead of them wanting to go to those other countries, they're like, no, we want to see what they're doing over here. Now, albeit maybe a natural inquiry, a genuine inquiry and wonder, or it could be on some other stuff. I don't know, because you don't spend time with them to get that. But I just found that that was interesting. But even when I was <clears throat> traveling, right, before I traveled, make sure that you're safe in South Africa and, and, and make sure that you buy that special kind of wallet where they can't pick pack your passport. All very interesting, all came for black people. So it just, it, it was another level really? of shade that we, that's been ingrained in us to not trust each other. Yeah. So South Africa, that whole trip was beautiful. Didn't have one hiccup. Uh, I think you had in your natural, when you go to the, uh, what do you call it? Like um, just the outside shops where it's just things everywhere that you can buy stuff. The markets is what yeah. they call it. So naturally you have kids that are in poverty that are begging. That goes without saying. That's going to be everywhere. That, right. Outside of that, it was just a beautiful experience, a beautiful time. Um, the dining, the people, it was just a wonderful time. And you got to see, uh, because I think when you don't go and experience the places for yourself, many people are still thinking that it's like Ethiopia where we saw the kids that were so damn sick with the swole bellies and the fly. Those places are so Americanized way more than we are so yeah. you saw nice high rises you saw people that were well to do you saw build you know companies that were thriving there now i'm gonna tell you this and this is the thing we went to athens greece and we went to santorini and it's interesting because no one told me to watch anything there. And one of the people that we traveled, we were on the train and he's a big guy, got pickpocketed. <laughs> and they took, stole his, and he's an army guy, st 
stole his credit card and had spent like $4,000 already buying big freezers and something. So it was interesting because we did see the poverty there. The poverty there is very rampant. Um, so I think, you know, we, we definitely, I want to go to West Africa, you know? So I think for me, it just left a hunger to want to visit more places. Uh, but in this age of COVID, everyone is just concerned. So yeah. I, um, I, I know some people from Africa. I have some African friends. Um, mm -hmm. What parts of Africa? Uh, Liberia, Togo, mm -hmm. um, Ghana. I know someone from Cameroon uh, and uh, some other, uh, Mozambique. Ethiopia. We have had conversations amongst each other about about that. And he was like, why do you think that that it's done that way? I was like, it's probably because they don't want us to go over there and find out what it's actually like. Mm -hmm. I said, when we see you guys on TV, since I've been growing up, mm -hmm. what they showed me of Africa was villages, yeah. huts, yeah. a lot of land where animals were just roaming around. Right. Like that's the images we saw growing up. Yeah. A dollar a day. You too can help these kids and kids will be sw with swollen. Right. That's the, and I told them, like, these are the images that I that we're shown. Mm -hmm. I said no one told me anything different until I became an adult or I got with people. You know, I started to explore the world or explore uh, different environments and travel for myself and talk to people about it and, and see things for myself. He said, you know, what we were told. Growing up, I was like, what? They said, they, he's like, they had glamorized America. America was this really great, happy place where you know, all your dreams could come true and everything. And I said, well, that's partially true. And he said, well, what you're saying is partially true about Africa, too. He mm -hmm. said, it, it's, they were like, it's everywhere, though. It's like, there's no place that doesn't have poverty and, and people yeah. aren't doing that's well. True. And he's like, actually, he told me, he's like, actually, when you go, you're gonna love it. He's like, you're really gonna love it. Even in places that are shitty, he's like, you're just gonna like it. Mm -hmm. You're gonna like it because you're gonna have a, a feeling of home and a sense of home. And mm -hmm. you're gonna feel like you belong there. He said, when you come to America and you look around, people looking at you funny, people don't speak sometimes, people look weird, you know, people doing crazy things. He said, over there, everybody looks just like you. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, and I said, well, that's the images that they give us. You know, I was told that, all African nations, well, not I wasn't told, but the images I've, I've seen told me that Africa was, was, a, was a bad place and maybe I shouldn't go over there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I told him the reason why I knew I wanted to go was because when I started doing my own digging mm -hmm. and I started reading all these damn books I got, mm -hmm. I started gaining knowledge of self and becoming more aware of who I am as a man and the power that I have that I can put out into the universe. I said, that changed everything for me. Yeah, That changed everything, going to Jamaica, because I went step by step out until I finally was able to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I still haven't set foot on Africa yet, but yeah. I, I plan on it. But yeah, I, it's one of those things that when you go, you're, you're still trying to plot and plan how to visit other places. And I mean, of course, you're not going to hit every place, but it left us with a desire that we definitely wanted to go to West Africa or Central Africa, just di different regions yeah. of that continent and, um, and still want to visit the other places. But I think for me, I, I can't 
talk the talk that I talk yeah. without having a real investment and yeah. spending the time in the places that represent me. Yeah. Because when I think comparatively to white America, they do that automatically. The problem is a lot of them, and I'm talking about ones with money, they started young. So yeah. they'll go to their countries or different places young, 10, 12. We, we still going down south or yeah. up north within yeah. the United States. Yeah. So, um, but then I think about even our kids, even today, no matter what color, it's, it's they, they are stuck in their communities and they don't go outside of their communities. So how can I even talk about Cameroon or you know Kenya when these kids have not ever been a Navy peer? They've never taken just, you know, those little bullshit bo uh, boat rides. Yeah. My they haven't done any of that kind of stuff. Um, so you just, but also I think the onus is on us to give them the real history. How you said we grew up just seeing the stuff on TV or even if it's on Facebook or, or social media, we have to demystify that. Yes. Those countries may have some elements of this, but let me show you what it also is. Absolutely. And I think that, that that's up to us. So, you know, that's up to me as a teacher, as a natural teacher, then I should listen to them and hear why they wouldn't want to visit, right? But then present the other side that's also very true. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was effective when they had me when I went to go do the substitute teaching and when I did started doing the mentorship, yeah. uh, the, to be able to tell them stuff like that. And they, they, yeah. that's, that's true. That happened. Like, yeah, you don't, nobody in your house knows anything about history. It's yeah. like, all I know is that my, my grandma, my great, great, great grandma, that's all they would tell me about. I was like, man, did you know that once upon a time, this whole world used to be one big, one big ball of clay and people used to travel from side to side all over. And black people used to run around creating different civilizations everywhere and and telling them that because they never heard it yeah. telling them that because they never heard it and then giving them the actual information and where they could get it from it, mm -hmm. it, it blew their mind and they wanted to know more so right. while i'm being told here this is the curriculum that they got to learn for this week while i'm giving them the curriculum i can drop i can drop hints in hey you guys can y'all can do anything in the world that y'all want to do I can travel here, y'all can go there, but let me give you some self-pride in the process because when you don't know your history and you don't know where you come, come from and who you are, it takes it takes a, it takes a lot away from you. Mm -hmm. you. You know what I mean? You if if you're like me, young, you're gonna be searching for it. Like I was searching for it all through high school. Uh, mm -hmm. The curriculum that they were telling us that you know uh, all the white people did on they made this great nation, and I was like, wait, what the hell? How y'all telling me all this and then y'all just glossed over Africa like that's right. That's right. Y'all not gonna tell me nothing about Africa. Oh it's well, you know I made I minored in African studies for that okay. very reason. For that very reason. Yeah, I was and like they, they glossed over it. Then I got to hear about Eli Whitney and the cotton gin and all these motherfuckers. And I was like, wait, we invented the washer, the dryer, the stoplight, the heart transplant, uh all this stuff. Like, how come we don't talk about that? And when I mentioned it, the teacher I had at the time told me that a black person hadn't done that much. But see, was that a black person that? No, told it wasn't. Right. See, that's why I'm saying it wasn't. Yep. But that was the reason why I I, I started to hate school at that point. Or they don't even even with my teachers, I have to 
brooch. Well, you know, this is this time. What are you doing in honorarium of this? Or how are you discussing this with your students? Oh, I hadn't even thought about it. I'm sure you hadn't. So I think even just me being in a leadership role, just really, again, promoting this anti-racist mindset. Because now these kids are in front of you. You got to think about their lived experiences and their history, period. That's it, that's all. And if you're not doing this, you're not gonna do that by just presenting some Christopher Columbus stuff. That, that's not gonna happen. And it's, it's, it's false, you know? So, I mean, now for, for people that are non-Black, that takes a lot of unlearning or, you know, learning something new. Yeah. So now we got to stop being lazy or whatever you want to call it because I don't really take excuses. How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And what's the implications for these students in this learning moving forward? You know, and, and it's deep because now you're talking about people who have been ingrained to believe a certain way, a certain thing about a certain group. And now I'm asking you to change that because it really comes across as racist and it really is. And it's always been that way. It's always been racist. But now we're in such a hyper-conscious or conscientious society to a degree <laughs> that, that everything is offensive. So now we got to get at it, which I guess for the education sake is okay. Yeah. You know, but even even with dealing with the current state of America, you got to teach that. They got to know about um, the electoral colleges they, or the electoral college. They got to know about the voting systems. You got to start from the beginning to where we're at now and how we got here. And so that they can even have a level of understanding today, which I find most adults don't even have a basic level of understanding about our government and system. They don't. Judicial no. and executive branches. No, they don't. They don't even have that. Yeah. It had you froze, uh, and then all of a sudden, it, it, nothing. I was like, what the hell is going on? Sometimes, I guess it's the internet, but it just started doing this because I had this computer service. Because I'm like, I just got, this is not an old computer. So I took it to IT guy on Superior to do some work, so we'll see. But it's been, I've had it for about three weeks since that service. But I usually use my work computer a lot. This is my own personal computer. So it should be good because I never really do a lot on this computer except for shop and pay bills. All right, let me go over here and get this tea. I'm sure you hear it whistling. Mm -hmm. Okay. All I put in my tea is uh, honey. That's it. Okay. Honey. Unless I, I feel like cutting up a lemon and putting a lemon in there. Usually I just put I just put honey in there. Mm -hmm. You do something different? Nope, honey and lemon. And then sometimes with the green tea, I just drink it straight. Really? Okay. Time, I, I do like honey and lemon in the tea. Yeah, that's it. I don't put I don't put nothing extra in there. Um someone I know someone that uses brown sugar in it. Really? Or, or milk. I don't know 
I don't know what what's to that. Mm -hmm. Now, my mom used to add milk to her tea every now and then, but that was really when she didn't have coffee, <laughs> and she would make like hot tea with a little bit of cream in there and sugar. Mm. Yeah, I just put I just put honey in there and, yeah. and I sip. You know, I don't even know what else to put to put in it. Really, you know. Right. I don't use I don't use sugar. I don't even own sugar in my. I don't even have sugar in my place. Right. Only honey. Yeah. 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 So I forgot what we were talking about before you got. Oh, okay. There was about a twenty minute pause. Yeah. Um. I think we were talking about if still was along the lines of um, us being adults and and being more responsible with teaching children about us. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, it started. It was around travel and then those exposures that we had. But then, how does that translate to students? And I think I was talking about just even from a teacher perspective. Uh, that the students don't even travel in Chicago, which yeah. is, you know, adds to your question about do kids even still take field trips? Yeah. Uh, but sometimes if it's pricey places that may limit um, them going, but a lot of places do uh, really try to work with schools to make sure they provide experiences like the Field Museum, a museum of science and industry where they typically charge to see all of the good exhibits, I like to say, you know, where they might charge you $15, but they do have programs where for students, they can get in and see those things and they don't have to, you know, pay. So that's good. When you started taking African studies, mm -hmm. and you started learn, learning more about uh, African mm -hmm. culture, Black culture, whatever, whatever, indigenous culture, whatever we, we want to call it. Were you shocked? initially when you start learning these different things about us as far as history like all the great things we had we had done it's a great question um I don't think I was shocked I think I was more intrigued and wanted to learn more and I'll tell you the interesting thing um the professor that was really responsible for that learning he was not an African guy he was not a black guy he I'm was not surprised a, that either. No, he was a white guy, but I'm going to tell you this about him. He was very much well immersed in the African continent and the various cultures and countries. So that pretty much was his life. He and his wife had traveled, had lived amongst the indigenous people, the natives. And so I like how he taught. He taught from now I feel like CPS is trying to teach from this way where it wasn't just history. So he taught from demo demographics, uh, uh, geography, economics, history, and civics all in one, which is the way you should teach anything when you're talking about social studies or history. So, I mean, the economic wealth that's what I learned the most about, right? Because that's what he tied in. But he made no qualms and, and he was always very clear about um, the white involvement <laughs> in all of that. And, and I think that's what I appreciated most about him, you know, just being able to 
to be very honest, as a white man to talk about, you know, I won't use the word savagery, but uh, when we talk about imperialism, you know, and just, you know, it still happens. Imperialism, all that, yeah. I'll tell you, you still see it rampant in South Africa, in Cape Town. It's still happening. Uh, there are parts of there are parts of Africa that have been bought up recently by I think uh, the Chinese government or just China. They bought, they've been buying up parts of Africa as well. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's Japan, I think Japan too. You know, every everybody has their hand, and you know, because they they uh, come from this mindset of. <laughs> we know what's best for you and we want to make it better for you. And that, that you still see it in parts of Chicago. You oh, know. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. To speak on what you, what you said about your professor, as I was coming into all of the knowledge that I was getting, mm -hmm. I was giving more by, by a white guy, by a Caucasian. He was like, you're into history. I was like, yeah. And we were talking about it. He's like, I, he's like, I traveled to Africa. He's like, I've been to uh, almost every uh, uh, every country in Africa. Mm -hmm. And he said, he's like, Here go, here's some books that I've read uh, that you should check out. So he gave me those books and I, I checked them out and I started reading about them. Mm -hmm. But what he also did was he gave me some books about uh, our historic professors. Uh, what's his name? Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu. Yes. He gave me, yes. Some, he gave me some books about him. And I was asking, him, I was like, you that deep into this stuff? He's like, yeah. He said, absolutely. He said, the, he said, the problem is that more people aren't. More people aren't. He said, the school system doesn't tell us this. He said, because the area that he grew up in mm -hmm. was all white people. He's like, he's like, I'm a, I'm a kid from the suburbs. He's like, I don't, they don't teach this. They don't teach us. He's like, I'm a well-to-do kid from the suburbs. They don't teach us none of this shit. Mm -hmm. He said, so because of my exposure to being around black people, and 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 wanting to wanting to know more about black people, he said, because when you see white, when you, when you see black people, you don't just see one type of uh, black person. So you don't see that. He's like, it's all different types of things that are going on, the way people move and they interact and they're involved. And he said, I, I was always curious about it. He said, so I started I started venturing into in, into into Africa, and, and he said I, I became a professor. Uh, no, he didn't come, become a professor. He said I just wanted to know more. I just started educating myself more. He said that we, what I found out is that the more I learn about black culture, the more crazier that the people that I grew up around, they looked at me like I was crazy. He right. said, but they had never seen nothing. Mm -hmm. They had never seen nothing. They had never been nowhere. And he said, and they didn't have any black, black friends. They and would tell you about the guys at school or the guys that they work with. He said, but they couldn't tell you no, no black person that they could call up or invite over. Mm -hmm. you know, so he had gave me some books. And I was like, you, you really, you really big on this. He was like, yeah, he said, because well, there's a misperception of everybody everywhere. And he said, and I don't want that. He said, I don't ever want to have that. So, you know, he was, he was instrumental in making sure that I had uh, certain types of books. Yeah. Uh, I had never heard of uh, Dr. Chung Jufu uh, at that point in time. Um, I was aware of Ivan Van Sertima. Uh, I was aware of uh, Dr. Cran uh, Francis Cress Welsing. I was aware of her and a, and a few other, uh, I was Amos, Amos Wilson mm -hmm. and, and Renoku Rashidi. I was aware of them, but I hadn't, he gave me some people that I had never even heard of, you know? Mm -hmm. And you start reading the information from them. He's like, yo, this is good. This is really just good information that he was giving me. 
you know, he's like, man, I'm a, I'm a person that believes in, in sharing and us knowing and doing better. He said, because there was a lack of sharing and there's a lack of actual information and understanding about one another and how we, how we should uh, actually coexist. And right. So sure. during that conversation, I said to him, How did you meet him again, Otha? Hanging out. Okay. Hanging out. I was going to the bookstore. I was hanging out. I was going to the bookstore. I got to the bookstore. Um, what was the, what's the name of the bookstore I was going to? The one on 87th? I forgot the name of it. So I'm going to the bookstore and I think he was leaving out. Oh, wow. White guy. Just leaving out. He was leaving out of the, book, the uh, bookstore. It's on 87th. Um, off of Stony Island. I forgot mm-hmm. the name. It's, uh, what's, it? what's the name of that store? The store that you're talking about. No, you know what I'm talking Okay. Yeah, I know that. I'm, I'm, I'm going in there and I'm getting ready to pick up some books. And he tells me, he's like, you, you should read about this and this and this and this. And we just started talking. We in the store talking. It went from me buying the books to me, me and him sitting there talking for 20 minutes because I was trying to look at him like, what the fuck you, you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck you know? Older, older guy, you know what I mean? You wouldn't, you wouldn't think much of him, you know, walking around in khaki pants and a vest on, you know what I mean? So we in there talking, we chopping it up. So for 20 minutes, we chop it up. And then I leave out, as I'm leaving out, me and this man are still walking and talking about, about history. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there, he's like, you need to find out this, you need to know, know this. He's like, but also young man, he's like, it would be, it book out. I wouldn't, what do you say? I would behoove you to go to Africa for yourself so you mm-hmm. can see it. He said, mm-hmm. because it's all like you've been lied to, like it's all lies. And he showed me pictures of, uh, he showed me pictures of Ghana. And he's like, hey, do you know anything about Ghana? I was like, I know about certain parts of civilization like uh, early on before conquering and all this other shit existed. He pulls up pictures that he has of all the countries that he's been to and all the beautiful things that have uh, transpired there, the land. He said, yes, everywhere you go, people are gonna be in poverty. He said, but Africa is a very beautiful place. It's a Mm -hmm. very beautiful place. And don't let no one else tell you anything other than that. I've had plenty of friends that are like, that's just not on my list to visit (laughs) countries in that continent. And here's the thing, it's almost like with Christianity. I'm not here to convince you otherwise. So you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like that's futile. People have to come into their own understanding. You could talk about it as a cursory introduction. This is where I've been. This is why I like it. And you kind of leave it there because anything else gets into those type of back and forth uh, discussions that don't really yield any fruit. So, but you know, people, I find when it comes to us and our ancestors, our history, and where we're going, people have to start coming into that on their own. And I do feel like that they have to read the right text, those primary sources, and not the bullshit that you see snippets of in the media, uh, social media, and these different uh, outlets that are frankly just not credible, you know, to, to, to give any credence to who we are. So, it, it was it, it was very revealing to me once I started reading history for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that started junior, senior year um, mm-hmm. when it really started happening for me because my aunt, she kept books like that around the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kept books around the house. like They were like little pamphlets. 
And I don't know if she was if she was doing it on purpose or if she just did it because that was something that she was proud of and she just loved those books. But she had like a shelf, like a, like I got behind me, she had like a shelf full of books. And she would always tell me to just read. So anything that was like black literature, sometimes I would just pick up those because she would have them out on like her glass tables. Mm-hmm. And I would just pick them up and read through them. You know, I'm like 10 black kings of Africa, 10 black queens of Africa. Like, what is this stuff? And then I would go ask her about it. And she was like, that's, she was like, that's real, baby. That's history. She's like, you know, you didn't know that? I was like, um, 10 <laughs> queens? Like, I didn't, I didn't know nothing like that. She was like, read, she was like, if, whenever you're ready, read the rest of them. Just read the rest of them. So I would read, I would read these books and I would read about Shirley Chisholm and all, all of, all of our great ancestors before us. But it was crazy that when I'm reading that, and then I go to school, and what they're telling me is totally opposite. Contradictory, yeah. It's totally opposite. Yeah. And that yeah. was one of the reasons why I started, like, I hate school. I really hated being there because it was like, I'm wasting my time learning some information that is, that is, that's a lie. And I'm not even, and I'm, not, I'm not even learning nothing. Mm-hmm. Not telling me everything else about these other other people, like oh, they're they're our heroes. No, they yeah, are fucking heroes. I don't yeah. know these people. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. And but that's what happens when you come into your own knowledge. You know what I'm saying? And you're able to digest and dissect what you're reading. Yeah. To determine what's the BS from what's real. You know. Yeah. It, it, it is, for me, um, I was that reason why I asked you where you shocked is because it was a shock for me to learn about uh, mm-hmm. Queens in Africa, you know, in different spots, Ghana, Benin, and, and things like that, where there were actual Queens that ruled and they did a, they did a good job. It was, mm-hmm. you know, after, but after the shock, from the shock, it went from being shocked to having pride, right? Yeah. For me, because yeah. it was like, we did this, we did that. We built towns underground. We built towns above ground. You know what I mean? And not just the pyramids. It was just all the other history. Nothing exists without us. No, not at all. And that is, it's not an overstatement. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. Down to the very alphabet that people use. Yep, I agree. Down to the very uh, alphabet that people use. Um, it's, uh, it's, it was, it's crazy to think that, you know, well, it's not even crazy. At this point, it's sad to know that that type of history is hidden um, and it's, it's kept away from people for, for very good reason. But it was I think it's one of the reasons why I did enjoy doing the mentorship and um, doing substitute teaching, because I was able to t- tell these kids these things that they don't know. And when they normally get it either. So, yeah. Yeah. And then when you tell it to them, they go, that's not real. And because we live in an era of technology, they can pick it up on their phone now and they can Google it and they can find it out for themselves, right? So when they sit there and look at me, they go, yo, and now there's a relation. And I go, all right, cool. So now we go back into the lesson plan and I can teach them. But then are you going to say anything else to us about history? I was like, yeah, I'll teach y'all some more. (laughs) Do you ever think you want to teach? Huh? Do you ever think you would want to teach? I I don't know. Would I be good as a teacher, though? Yeah, I think so. I think you have to be a high school teacher. You think so? 
specifically target and talk about these historical perspectives, these African history history. I would think I would do better with the young kids though. Uh-uh. I don't think so. One, I know what I know about you, because the families would and with a younger kid, they want watered down. When you start dealing with young adults, you can be a little more real with them and have those real conversations and they get it and they understand it. When they're K to five, you can introduce them to stuff on a cursory level. But I think that your knowledge and your skill set is way deeper than a cursory introduction to some of these things. So I think- It have to be high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or just or it's just some kids that's ready to, to learn. And yeah. they don't even have to be in a formal school setting. But like, I feel like the kids of today, they're craving something. Something is missing that they're not getting. And it, as an educator, as a principal, uh, it's not all happening in a formal education setting. So I think about, you know, what would that look like? You know, when we think about connecting, because really the 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 um, the catalyst behind teaching history is to be able to connect it with what's happening to them now. And I think that with all the uh, racial injustices, inequality that is shamefully still ever present mm-hmm. now than it was back then, than our parents' experience, I think is. A perfect opportunity, you know, to be able to have that level of engagement because they don't understand, you know, yeah, it's easy to say this has been happening, this is part of our history and just make a blanket statement. But to be able to articulate and show them, you know, why I can make that statement and why this is what it is, I think is deep. And I think that, you know, um, with that, just still being able to provide them hope and, and being able to walk into their greatness. So yeah. absolutely, I think that. Yeah, okay. yeah I, I, I was asked that um, yeah. after I did it. They was like, would you want to do that again? I was like, I don't mind it. I don't mind like that. They took to me, you know? And she was like, it's, it's hard for kids to just take to people like that. She said, yeah. I've come past the room and saw you. And they seem to engage with you very well. She's like, have you done that before? I was like, I just do mental work. Um, Think about book studies, you know what I'm saying? You're a well-read brother, you know your stuff and you know that there are certain things. And I always tell people, even when you talk about, you know, book studies and reading, it's usually a chapter or two that really stands out for whatever reason that really speaks to everybody so i think that you'd be good at you know presenting and just even having those deep discussions yeah well you know what do we think you know uh what are the implications on our lives as we are now from yeah. all this nonsense that has been going on you know um so yeah yeah and in those conversations when race is brought up with the kids when i, I talk about it with them I talk about it with them and I tell them it's covert racism and then there's overt racism, right? It's, it's shit that's being done right in front of you and yeah. there's plans and stuff that you just didn't know, but you're just walking through it and you're starting to find it out and you, you're going to just see it. But it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Especially. It's everywhere. Even, even when someone goes 
publicly and says something like, uh, I can't, we can't seem to find a black CEO because there aren't many uh, mm-hmm. that are out there. Mm-hmm. We know that's a lie. Mm-hmm. We know that's a lie. Mm-hmm. We just know that's a lie. We, we know that there are many of us that have tried to get into those positions and, and we just denied those type of opportunities. And that are credentialed, you know. But I even talk about the people who are more harmful than even those people, those people that don't see color. Those people to me, I call them the pseudo progressive liberals, you know, because then you're dealing with those people that maybe they voted for Barack Obama. Maybe they have a biracial baby or something where they can have that one little smidge of connection to people or black people and and they still racist as all ever you know because the mere point that you could say you don't see color to a black person or a person of color is insulting to most of us it is very insulting you kind of just look at it and then in the back the recesses of our brain we're like okay this is who this person is but it's still fucked up and i they see it as a badge of honor and it makes them uh, not accountable for anything. And so like with my white professional friends that consider themselves to be very friendly with me, I let them know, you know, what is and what is not and what you should say or should not say. It's more of what you should not say that's offensive. Yeah. So I want you going somewhere else saying it because somebody else may read you a little differently than I will. Yeah. The me, the me 10, 15 years ago would knock your teeth out. I wouldn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even think about it. But because I'm older, I'm more learned, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of a ton of experience in life. Mm-hmm. I, I know to talk to people and process information a little bit differently. You know yep. what I mean? Uh, I won't I won't go off the rails, but there are those who I salute for going off the rails when they have to correct these people. And I'm dead serious because it shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't happen. Calling me the N-word, calling me a monkey. And by the way, if you ever look at a monkey's lips, don't look like mine. Um, But all that little stupid stuff that they say, you should you should get your jaw broke. You, You should, because if you got the nerve to say it, then. You should be able to deal with my reaction. And don't expect me to ever react to anything that's done the way you acted. If you hit me and I knock your teeth out, that's just what it is. Oh, the the biggest weapon is social media. The people are most brazen and they are emboldened to do the things they do. But usually, typically, they do it behind the stroke of a key, uh, you know, a computer key. Yeah. It's never face to face. No, in the hopes that they never have to see you, you know, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have told people that I, um, that I'm very cool with who are Caucasian, say, hey man, we gonna go some places on the South side. You all right with that? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Do you know how we talk? You can keep, you good, but your guy, he can't go. And if he does go, I, I am not responsible for him. I'm just letting you know. He was like, well, you know, what's the difference? I said, because you're cool. He has a very uh, weird mouth. He likes to say some things that uh, that's going to get him terminally hurt. Off color. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, back to I don't see color. That's bullshit. It's bullshit. Anytime someone says that to me, 
it's bullshit. I know it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just bullshit. Like, how, how can you make such a statement like that? Yeah. yeah. And it's like almost a total disregard for your Black friends that you claim are friends. We, you know, they use that term loosely. And then the but, next thing you can ask them is, how many black people you know that you actually cool with? And I ain't talking about your work buddies. I'm talking about actual people that you know. How many black people do you know? Because when mm -hmm. I hear that statement, that statement is, is weird and it's an insult. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, to me, it's, what's that? You're hiding your actual objective or your actual feelings by saying mm -hmm. something like that. Yep, I agree. You know what I mean? Uh, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and then the, the thing they had the thing with the blue lives matter, and I told someone I said you can take that fucking uniform off. This shit is forever. Right. This, right. The skin color is forever. Right. Take that uniform off. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I said that's another way that people are being divided by using things like that. And it's 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 so much, but. I do bring so I do bring up the, the race issue with the kids uh, when I'm around them, and I because I want them to understand. I don't want them to be walking around blind and not and not uh, understand what's going on around them because it's happening every day. Yes, it's happening every day. The the stuff they see on TV it's it's everywhere. You know, I, I you have to. I think we need to educate our kids more on that. Yeah, know? I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah. But the the main thing for me was. Uh, we didn't grow up in no fucking no fucking jungles. Um, we weren't swinging from trees and shit like that. You know what I mean? These myths need to be dis debunked immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot of it out there though. Because um, even having conversations with my mother, yeah. um, I learned that she didn't know some of the stuff that I knew from reading. Mm -hmm. And when I when I would tell it to her, she would be shocked about it. And I was like, you didn't know, you didn't know any of this, mom. And she was like, and she told me, she was like, well, I grew up, that ain't stuff that we learned about. Yeah, that's not what they were teaching. That's not what they were teaching. Even today, that's not being taught. You know, now I know that, like I said again, my frame of reference is CPS. So they have become a little more intentional with teaching African studies type units as well as Latino or Latinx. Um, type studies, but that's just um, a toe, a toe in the dough, if you will. Like it's probably like nervous. That. It has to, it has to be intentional, and that's why you have to be very careful of the teachers that you put in front of students. Because if you get someone who don't give a damn about other races, um, the struggles of the kids that they are that are in their classrooms or the faces that are before them then you're gonna get some washed out white curriculum that nobody really gives a damn about not even them yeah. but what they know so people tend to stick to what they know um and they don't like to learn anything new a young man especially if it makes them feel uncomfortable a young man that i met years ago he was talking to me. He was like, oh, that was done by the Dutch and the English. And I was like, what? He was like, French people never did nothing like that. So mm -hmm. I said, do you know anything about Haiti? Do you know the history of Haiti? He was like, no, I don't know anything about Haiti. I was like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So I had to educate him about that. And I said, what do you know about your own country? 
Mm. And he's like, I, I know enough about my, I was like, do you know that you guys used to uh, make zoos out of black people? Mm. And he was like, that's not, that's not true. I said, okay, well just look it up and you tell me if I'm wrong. Mm. You tell me if I'm wrong. And, and, and when you come back and we have this conversation again, let's make sure that we're, we're both on the same page about it. You know, I was like, because at one point they were putting young black children in, in, in zoos and making zoos out of them. Right. You know what I mean? So it, this stuff exists or yeah. existed. It, it happened. Real. Yeah. It's super real. It's super real. And we were having a conversation. He was like, oh, that was just the Dutch. And I was like, no, everybody was involved in the slave trade and the degradation of black people. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Everyone was involved. Right. There were no clean hands. Nobody had a clean hand in it. Yeah. I said, I said, London financed it. For the people that are already over here, they financed it. They had the was the royal royal company and a London trading company, whatever whatever they were, and then everybody else came over and they joined in. Everything, all these billion dollar companies that been around for hundreds of years were started off that. So let's just cut the shit. And after he did his research, he came back and he apologized. And I told him it wasn't to demean you or tell you that you were stupid. It was just that you were unlearned and you were ignorant of the actual actual history. Right, right. And I think people have to be open to learning that, that you could learn something that may shock you. Yeah. You may say, oh, wow, I didn't know this. Yeah. You know, you have to be committed to it and I think some people are so combative that they just don't want to believe certain things and so there's that you know so you know you you definitely have to be open to discomfort in in learning some things that may not be so cool about a group that you love or you identify so much with so yeah I agree with that so recently I've been thinking about doing the africanancestry.com have you done it Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I want to do that. I'm not doing that. What what has piqued your interest to do that? Just the more you read, the more you're interested. It's the more I I read, but it's also I would like to know you know the more in depth about me and where I'm from. Uh, my cousin did it. I think he did Ancestry.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My cousin on my mom's side, mm-hmm. and he did it, and he pulled up the results of where we're from. Uh-huh. Well, he sent it to me, I should say, and we're from uh, we're from Cameroon, which I I, I kind of felt we would be from. Um, <laughs> let, me see, let me see, let me pull it up and see if I have it on my phone. Uh, Cameroon, and we're from the uh, Western Bantu people. Oh. Yep. Cameroon, Congo, 38%, Nigerian, 38%. Oh, okay. And then Benin and Togo, 15%. So as it goes further down, then you got uh, English, Irish, and from Wales. But those are two percent a piece, two, two, two. Yeah, yeah, very small. But that's him and his dad, you know, uh-huh. and my aunt. So his dad married into the family. Yeah. And I think I think you know that part of that might be him because his father was dark. He was a dark man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
he was a beautiful dark man. Rest in peace to my uncle, but um, mm-hmm. he was a dark man. So, and he's like, t- uh, my cousin Henry's tall, like six foot eight. Wow. He's like my complexion, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Six, yeah, he used, to, he used to play ball with Antonio McDice, I think, in college or high school or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, me and him were going over that, and I was like, man, I got, I need to do that. So you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I want to, and I want to do it on for uh, for my mom and my dad, you know what I mean? Both my friends did it, and um they weren't really surprised by their results because I think like you, they kind of researched and read some stuff beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I just, I guess I never thought about doing it though. Yeah, I, I want to do it. And then you ever talk to like people from Africa and they'll tell you like where you would probably, any of them ever tell you like where you would probably fit in at? I always get Liberian, Liberian queen. Okay. Uh, so I need to look up Liberian women. <laughs> told that a few times yeah the guy told me he said you look like you would probably be from Liberia or Togo and then I started I started researching and doing some of the history on this stuff like that I was like okay cool Mm -hmm. and then when I asked my cousin I was like cuz did you do that did you do the test he's like yeah he's like send me the results man he sent it to me I was like thank you I appreciate it um Oh. Yeah, cause I but I had already people had already been telling you like oh you you would probably be from here and you would probably be from here or whatever, mm-hmm. and I think uh we're we supposedly or allegedly have Choctaw in the family too, but from that result it's a negative you know what I mean so like it ain't none of that in in, in there so but it might just be on my on my dad's side so um, I have to do the uh, testing for that. Okay. Yep. Sounds good to me. Did you know your father growing up? I did not. My father was not an integral part of my life. Um, My brother's dad was more of a father figure and my uncles were more of a father figure. My three siblings, my mother was married to their father. So they kept an ongoing relationship. And then my dad was kind of like, not around so much and then my youngest brother his dad was more like my dad so yeah yeah so so I don't know much about his family and I mean I would hear the stories from my mother of course um but I'll be very honest I was just never interested in my dad either you know like sometimes people crave to be a part of you know their father or mother whichever one is missing or not attentive and I think I just have the opposite spirit I think I drew nearer closer to the people that showed interest that love so I think that was my uncles that stood in the gap and my youngest brother's dad that were for me it was kind of the same Mm -hmm. I knew him up until about age five or six when he left Mm -hmm. Um, he went down to Mississippi to rebuild or whatever he planned on doing. And then for two years, we lived with him down there. Mm-hmm. And then when we came back up here, nine, 10 years old, mm-hmm. um, that's when that's when our relationship, you know, it started to spread out. And it became from having a relationship to not having nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was it was mainly just because of growing up in Chicago, right? 
and then trying to adjust to the community or the neighborhood yeah. and trying to find myself, right? Trying to have a life and yeah. trying to adjust to all that. And when you're hearing someone telling you, I'm coming up there this, this summer or I'm coming up there for summer break or I'll be there for your birthday and it never materializes, by the time you're 14, 15, you say, oh, fuck it. Yeah. yeah. Fuck it. You're not, you're not coming up here. Right. Lies. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, it, it was, at that point, it was just bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, having uh, male figures from church that would like fill in the gap yeah. uh, or, or try to fill in the gap because I wasn't listening much to nobody. <laughs> That was that was integral for me because I, I didn't have it, right? I didn't have a father. Like when people would ask me, where was my dad? When I'm hanging out with people who do have a father, I'm like, yo, where your dad? I was like, I don't have one. Mm -hmm. I don't have one. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I thought for uh, for all the young kids out there that, that were like me, I know that sucks. You know what I mean? And I had to learn really early not to give a damn. Yeah. And because because you know that can weigh on some people but I'm glad that as a black woman that I did not let that weigh on me because I've seen it uh, manifest itself with women that um, they end up having these daddy issues and I'd like to think that I grew up as such a woman that I did not have those issues but I acknowledge that I very well easily could have had those issues so I just, you know, I just thank God that, you know, when you think about, um, you know, really honoring those people that that did love, you know, you. Uh, and so, no, I never had, honestly, I never had the desire to get to know somebody who wasn't there in my life. I so just, as I got older, I tried. Mm -hmm. I tried to have that involvement. Mm -hmm. And how did that huh? work? How did that work out? It didn't. It didn't. Mm -hmm. um, after three years of trying to mm -hmm. trying to socialize and fellowship and build that relationship back up, mm -hmm. keep it going. Typical fashion, he would he would show he would show his true self. So for me, it was just like, man, I'm not gonna even I'm not gonna even try anymore. Yeah, does yeah. more harm than good. Yeah. You know? uh -huh does more harm than good for absolutely. you. Absolutely. So the last time that it happened, um, me and him got in a very big argument. I think it was um, during Christmas or Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. He was talking negative about my mom. And I wanted to fight him. I was like, well, why don't you just step outside with me? You mm -hmm. know, we can go ahead and get this over with now. Like, we, we, we don't have to keep doing this. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't love my mother, and I don't give a fuck about you. Now I get, now I have a supreme understanding. I was like, you won't, you won't, you won't ever see me again. But I wanted to fight. Mm -hmm. I wanted to show what was, what was really happening. But none of that, nothing, nothing came out of it. And when I came home, me and my mom, she's in the kitchen cooking. House is smelling like all types of good flavor. You know, I go in the back. And we have a conversation. She was like, "How did things go?" I said, "It went. I went. I said it went horrible as usual. It went mm -hmm. horrible. It went horrible. He's not listening, and he and he keep, and he talks like he talks about you like a dog." Mm -hmm. She said, "That's your father. You need to have a relationship with him." I was like, "He's stupid. 
he's he has no empathy or no sympathy. I was like, and he's holding on to a grudge for whatever happened while he was here, and he's he he uses that against us, mm-hmm. especially you. Mm-hmm. Like that's your father. You need to have a relationship. So what I did, Adrian, was I said the things to her that he said in my face about her. Mm-hmm. And she turned around and got ready to hit me. <laughs> right, because he, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell her that he said it. I just started saying it. I just started spewing it out. Mm. I just started saying all the negative stuff that he would say about her to her face. I just said it to her. And as she charged me and got ready to hit me, I said, these are the things that he says about you. And you want me to sit there and play with play play around with that man? Yeah, you can't. And then that's not healthy anyway. And I've heard plenty of parents say that to children. That's your father. That's your mother. I got it. Thank you. But I am not obligated to be in that relationship and none of that. None of that. No. And I told her, I said, this is what he's saying about you. That's Mm -hmm. what he says about you. And I said, I told her, I said, mama, before I left there, I tried to fight that man. I mm-hmm. wanted him to fight me. And he would, he, he, he declined. Mm-hmm. He did everything he could to, to move around that type of situation. Mm-hmm. It's like, but I wanted that. I wanted that because I wanted to end the relationship on the type of note that he was, that he was uh, presenting to me. Like, look, I don't have to come down here and see you. And you shouldn't have to be subjected to that negativity. Yeah in a relationship and that's for any relationship yeah and the negativity negativity has to go or yeah. i'm not engaging and, and you can't force me to engage yeah so, so uh mm-hmm. no to having a relationship try i've tried to rebuild it over and over again but adrian to be honest i felt like i knew that was gonna happen mm-hmm. the first time she told me because she was like you can't you you can't come up here um for I think it was either Christmas dinner. It was one that was for the other, right? I was gonna miss Christmas dinner if I didn't go see him for uh, Thanksgiving, or I w- or if I didn't go for it was something how she was doing it. Like I, I couldn't come around for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I knew I knew way before that. I knew at the age of fifteen when he called up there, and we were on the phone talking, and after all the the mundane conversation that we were having. After a while, um, he said, I'm going to come up there this summer for your birthday. Mm. I said, you don't have to come up here no more. And he was like, what, you don't want to see your dad? I was like, I haven't seen my dad in years. My dad tells me every year he's coming up here to see me. He said, you don't have to tell me that no more. Mm -hmm. And the phone went silent, and I hung up. I hung up. I was like, I I don't want to do that no more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. And then the hurtful part is seeing my little sister who still still has his love for for this man. So I had to, you know, kind of let her go through that on her own for a little bit. But then one day we were able to have that conversation. And I'm just like, look, if he cares so much about us, he would show us and he hasn't done nothing. Right. And it's really that simple. Yeah. It's yeah. really that simple. I agree. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, and that's no, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm being disrespectful toward him because I don't I don't think I am, but yeah. I just feel like there was nothing there to ever build on again for me, you know. So I just let, I left it alone. I left it alone. I saw him years ago, like I, uh, 
when my older sister got her doctorate, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. she became a doctor. I saw him then. Um, they had a party for her, or she went in like a banquet hall or something like that. And part of the family on both sides was there. Um, Did you talk with him? No. Yes. We spoke. We spoke briefly. Okay. He told me he loved me. I told him I said I love you too. He was like, you should you should call me. Come see me sometime. I was like, I love you like God loves us from a distance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love you from a distance. And mm -hmm. I said, that distance will continue to stay that way because of- I'm gonna visit you. Yeah, I was like, I, I never, there, there is no need for me to come visit you. There is no need. I was like, we don't have that type of relationship. And let's not be fake since we're face to face, no. Yeah, I, I ain't, I ain't I don't think there are too many people that can, or anybody that can call me a fake person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I ain't about to, I ain't about to start faking a relationship with you. <laughs> oh, I understand that. You know, but I'm very thankful of the people uh, who were instrumental in teaching me how to save a dollar, how to earn a dollar, teaching me about women. I'm very thankful for the people that took, you know, that went out there and took me in as their their godson or or as their nephew and, and did things for me that he didn't do, you know. So very appreciate appreciative of them. Rest in peace to my uncle Doug, because he that man had six kids. Wow. Six kids, four boys, two girls, wow. instead of twins. You know what I mean? He did the best he could until he died, I think when I was 15 or 16 years old. So you know, uh, I mean, I mean, I definitely miss him, but I, I, I miss John York too because he he was instrumental in showing me things as an adult. But those are the people who stepped in for me, you know, uh, whether it was briefly or whatever. It, it it was it was instrumental in making sure that I knew that I did have some type of support and someone to talk to. Because man, it sucks to be a man and not be able to talk to somebody about certain things that's going on in your life. And I know I know that there are women who, who need that as well when they don't have a mother or when they don't have a father, but right, right. Who yeah. is the person that you can go to? Yeah. Yeah. Because for those kids, I know they would be telling me stuff, you know, like, man, I don't want to go home. Or I, you know, sometimes I, I had this one kid uh who said he wanted to kill himself one time. How did you deal with that? I, I don't know what the hell I did, Adrian. I do not know. I don't know what the hell I did, but whatever whatever I was doing was work was working. It was working. I would let them stay. I would I would um, instead of taking them home all the time, I would let them stay around me a little bit longer. Um, I would keep in touch often. You know, I would sometimes when I would have the time, if I if I had like a day off, you know, I would go to the school where he was. You know what I mean? And let the teacher know, hey, I'm such and such such. I'm doing part of a mental pro program. For this kid, is it okay if I come up to the school and check on him every now and then? Mm -hmm. So all mm -hmm. that stuff. And then the teacher told me at the same time, she said that, you know, he talks about dying and stuff like that often. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. So she, I said, the best thing to do is to get a, a psychiatrist to him or bring, uh, get the counselor involved because you definitely don't want this kid doing nothing too crazy, wild and out of order. Wow. Yeah, it was It was bad. It was bad. I used to think about that kid a lot until he got it, you know, until he got himself mentally focused. But then when you go to the house again, you see it. You see why he feels that way. Wow. Yeah. 
No, I've never had anyone say, even being a teacher for as many years as I've been a teacher, I've never had anyone to say something like that. That's deep. I mean, we've had kids to like, uh, like self-harm and cut and do things like that. But a lot of the times they were doing it because that's what they were seeing on TV or their friends. They had no reason, or at least they articulated they had no real reason to, for doing it. Wow. I, I knew one that would cut to whole arm was scarred up. And I asked him one day, what, where these scars come from? He said, oh, I used to cut myself. I'm like, what? He's like, I used to cut myself. I used to, I used to cut myself. Anytime I did something wrong and I wanted to punish myself, I would cut myself. What? Yep. Yep. There's a lot of work out here, man, that people don't know about. Yeah, work people out here, young kids and adults out here that need some help. I agree. I agree. And then it's just like, how do you even begin to get to, you know, to help them? Yeah. Yeah. So I, don't know. I used to try my, I used to try my best. Like, man, I don't know what to do with every last one of y'all because it's a, <laughs> a lot of y'all, but. Uh, I'll do what I can in the time that I have. I mean, y'all got my undivided attention. And I have as much respect for you for you guys as you have for me. And I will give out uh, the, the same amount of love to you as well. You know? Mm, mm, mm. Wow. Yeah, that, that shit was crazy to find. Because the, the arm, the forearm was just scarred up. Mm-hmm. Just scarred mm -hmm. up. I was like, man, what happened to your arm? He's like, oh, I used to cut myself all the time. Wow. So yeah, I used to come. He's like, anytime I messed up, that's how I would punish myself. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. That's just tough to hear. It's a lot. That's tough to hear. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of kids need help out here, man. Hurting. Yeah. Hurting, hurting, hurting. Wow. Mm. Do you think that... The do you think that this whole situation will be over by next year? COVID? Yeah. I don't see an end anytime soon, to be honest. Um, I mean, if you asked me in March, I thought this would have been over by September. Mm -hmm. I just, with the numbers, how they are, and, and I'm not, I'm not a, a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in a conspiracies, but even with the vaccinations, that's going to take a couple of years to get enough people taking it and trusting it to even have that herd immunity thing going. So I don't know. I, I think I don't think we're going back to usual and, and doing all the big parties like next summer. No, I don't see that. Maybe the summer after that, maybe. But like even going into next summer, I think it's too soon to even talk about stuff like that, uh, which is scary. I do hope that getting back to our topic, I do hope that we could see the kids in person. But I'm concerned just about how easy it is to get an uptick in numbers. I mean, you just think about athletes, you know, they take all the best precautions. They are in bubbles. They're not going to be able to do that for schools, right? So we're clear on that. These kids are going home to their families. They have multi-generational folk in one house. You know, you can't control that, you know, and then we know how some people 
they 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 don't think this is serious. So younger folks are just out here wilding out with COVID. Yeah. And they're just dying. So I don't know. And that was one of the issues that I had. I was wondering, is it actually safe for these guys to be playing sports and things like that? I don't think, and people keep talking about money, but I mean, I know that if enough people get it, they still going to shut it down because it would be irresponsible to not do it. And the college kids, I don't even get why they're even going. You know, people want to, again, use the economy and it's a money making system. But if you have all these folks die, their families are going to try to sue, which I don't know if they'll have a leg to stand on because I'm sure they're going to make them sign some clause that if you choose to play. So I just I just think they nobody should take any real risk without a vaccination, period. And I just think that because we want things to go back to normal, whatever that is, we are rushing things and we do want things to just happen. Yeah. So, I don't know. Did you watch the debate? Oh, it was a debacle. <laughs> The debate was a debacle. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous, huh? I did. I watched the debate. I have to turn my phone. I watched the debate and it was embarrassing. And it was embarrassing to be an American citizen. And I thought about what people must, well, they've been thinking this, but it confirmed <laughs> that we are just, I don't know. It's just foolishness. It's a joke. Um and then for him to now have COVID, you know, which people are like, oh, it's a lie, it's a farce. I can't see him faking having COVID. I do think he has it. Um, but I also think he probably had it longer than what they're saying because now they're looking back to that big old conference or, or that gathering that they had and all of these people have it. So I'm sure back then and now, that the symptoms are just really now starting to manifest themselves. But here's the other injustice, if we want to talk about that. Like I posted on Facebook, if we all had his medical team and care, whether it was COVID or a terminal disease, most people probably will still be alive. Yes. The clock coverage and care that he's getting that we're paying for as taxpayers is crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Everybody deserves that amount of care. Yes. yes. And so I just feel like it's a stunt in terms of him just trying to turn certain things to make himself look like the victim. But you look like the full victim because you yourself didn't take all these things seriously. Right. You know? And nobody is going to talk about you, not the politicians, because they don't want to look like the the uncaring politicians. So everybody, Biden as well, is taking the high road. Yeah. But everybody knows that you having COVID was your own fault, period. Yeah. You know, and they the moment said, it took place. They said that White House is a mess. They reported, reporters said they been stopped going to the White House because they don't exercise safe precautions. And really? executive decision to no longer do interviews there because they were concerned about their health safety. Yes. 
Well, I mean, every time you saw him at a rally or whatever, he had he had he had on a mask, and nobody around in the area had on a mask. They were saying that they weren't taking temperatures, all the stuff that they should be doing that they weren't doing. And then at one point, you know, the 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 the, the lackadaisical care for the situation, calling it kung flu and things like that. Disrespectful, like, just yeah. just completely disrespectful. Yeah. Completely disrespectful. Yep. Yeah, so. people's health, people's health, health and safety should be should be first for everybody. You would think. You would it, think. Should be, it should be it should be like the main one of the main things uh, people should be able to get without trying to pay an arm and a leg for it. But here we sit with people saying that the you know healthcare bills are horrible or you know having insurance, you know, people should have to pay for it, this, that, and the third, but now, now this person has it. <laughs> now, and, and what's next, right? Because this person does have it, so yeah. how do you move? Yeah, it's, 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 it's some, it's some fuckery, you know? Yes, it is. I yeah, I, while, while I was watching, and I was like, man, what, what is the world if, People outside of this world are watching this. I'm not outside outside of this country are watching this. What are they seeing and what are they thinking? Because I sat there looking and I was like, man, it's like watching two kids fight. Guess what? Yes, yes. Um, it's funny because people are like, well, you know, Biden didn't do so bad. He did because he should have just let him rent. But he did because he got tired of it. And I don't know how I, I don't know if I'd be able to take the high road with him because he was really ridiculous. Yeah, so, I, I think at some point you you would just have to join in or, or yeah, I mean, I, and just be like, yo, just shut the fuck up. Which, that's why I was yeah. like, I don't have the discipline to not shut up with yeah. somebody that's just going that hard and ridiculous. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I don't know. I don't know. Um, they were even talking about before he announced that he had COVID that they probably even wouldn't do the debates because debates aren't mandatory. And if they're going to be like that, the people aren't getting any extra information to uh, inform their decision. Most, I think 90% of us, our minds are made up on who we're voting for. Yeah. Um, whether it's him or uh, Biden, people are decided. Um, but those 10%, you're not going to get a real answer through debate. So maybe just looking at some of what he believes in and what the other person believes in in their platform, because I don't think we're going to get any sensible debate. And I'm concerned because I haven't heard a real platform. I just haven't. I've heard stuff in general, but I can't say I've heard a platform for, for real, you know. I haven't heard it, so yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. I'm concerned, though. I don't. I'll, I'll be very concerned. I don't want Trump to be the president again. Do you remember when he first won? Oh yeah. Remember oh, that? Yeah. And we were hanging out right after that. 
Let me tell you, because for me, financially, I haven't benefited from him being the president. And I don't look at, I am not that person that say, what have politicians done for Black people? Because I think that's a stupid commentary. I think we fall into certain categories and we have to look at those categories and see how we've benefited. So let's look at socioeconomics. That's not dependent upon color. That's dependent on what's your tax bracket <laughs> and, and how does that uh how, how does that communicate change for you where it talks about tax bills or even health insurance or health care, you know, so I, and then more my moral compass. And then so some of my churchy friends that <laughs> are interested, well, Trump doesn't believe he's a pro, he's pro-life. Well, I'm pro-choice and I'm a Christian. Now what? Okay. Uh, I also... I'm not the judge and a jury with gay folks. I know what the Bible says. I'm going to let God handle that situation. So that still does not absolve Trump from being a straight up racist. He says all he, he incites violence and all these other things. So don't just say to me because, you know, he's pro-life and then you give one other, um, something from the Bible, but there's 10 other things that he does that are not biblical <laughs> or, or that shows that he lacks a moral compass. So you can't pull the, the Bible thing with me. That doesn't work well with me, you know, because nobody is perfect, but for them to just try to roll back, roll be Wade and all this kind of stuff. And that's really what a point this woman is uh, so that they can have so much power uh, in the judicial courts. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I'm hoping some of the new latest developments can slow down this traction to, to doom for most of us yeah. in the free world. I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, but then I also get frustrated at the Democrats, but I understand because it just seems like we can never get stuff done. You know, we're never, but, but then I have to take it back to us as the citizens. We don't vote. Where we can't have impact in these Senate races, these House of Representative races, when we should be voting, local elections, we don't vote. And that's where the power comes in. Yeah. You know, if we're all on the same page, Pro, that's why Obama couldn't get stuff done. It wasn't that he wasn't trying, but the, the Republicans controlled everything. So they voting down everything. So he's fighting against, you know, it, the current. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just like, but if you don't understand that, then you'll make the asinine statement that he don't do anything for black people. That's like, that's, that's the craziest statement. <laughs> That's what we should be working on, those more centralized things. What the hell are our aldermen or alderwomen doing in our Black communities? Okay, nothing. And we ain't holding them accountable at all. Very true. You know, I mean, that's where it starts. The community starts with the local government. Well, what is our local government? It's Chicago, it's these aldermen, it's the city council. You know, and it's not even, it's so funny because even when people go in hard on Lori Lightfoot, again, start yeah. even more local than that. You all got these step and fetch aldermen that collect this money that have never done anything. And then you get this black woman in and now everything is her fault. But everything, all of this shit happened under Rom, under Daly, under Popper Daly. And I've never heard them 
Some of the people that talked, they never publicly talked about Ron because they knew better and they knew that he would not play that with them. But with this woman, they say whatever they want to say and she's only trying to fix what was thrown in her lap. So I just, I just find it quite interesting. I find it quite, quite interesting. Do you remember when he first won and we hung out like what, that the next day? Do you remember that? With um, Trump? Yeah. Because I was at the bar when he was winning and I probably was, I probably was in a state of disbelief because I know I was at the bar that day, that night. We hung out like, we hung out like two days later, I think, like a day or two later. And we went to uh, Promontory. Okay. You don't remember that? We were sitting there and people and- Oh yes, I do remember that. Teachers, yeah, some teachers around, some Caucasian women, mm -hmm. they were crying. Mm-hmm, yep. They were sitting there crying. I do remember that. No, you were upset at me. Yeah. I remember you being upset with me. You was like, oh, you act like ain't mm -hmm. nothing wrong. I was like, you you act like that wasn't gonna happen. Like people act like that couldn't happen. Yeah. Like he won. Like what did you think would happen? People don't vote. Mm -hmm. He galvanized a group of people he for him. Yeah. yeah. I was like, he galvanized a group of people for him that went and supported what they thought would be a win for them. Yep. Like he, he he galvanized a group of people that had been sleeping and they got behind him. Mm -hmm. Which they probably got nothing for it this whole time. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? But we were sitting there and a woman was, ah, this is just so bad. And I asked her, I was like, who did you vote for? She's like, I didn't vote. I voted for, was it Hillary or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Hillary. She voted. Yeah, she. I, I remember that. And mm -hmm. we were just sitting there and the people were just sitting there crying. And it was like, this, the country is going to hell and everything like that. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, it was, it was, it was. <laughs> so the day of when it originally took place, I was at the bar. Um, yeah, I know I was there. I think one was bartending. And a guy that was for Trump, I think me and him were having a conversation. And, mm -hmm. and I got so upset. I got so upset talking to this Caucasian man about, about all of this stuff. I got so upset because I really wanted to, I, but I didn't have enough. Mm -hmm. I didn't have enough, you know what I mean, to hit him. Because it, it was just conversation, but I, I really did want to hit him. And then after he left, because he was going, he was just saying some of the most ridiculous stuff I've ever heard. And I started getting in his ass about it. And I'm, I'm talking to him and I'm, I'm providing facts. And he, and he started talking about history. So I'm on his ass about history. So then. Because you know they think they know everything. Yeah, yeah. Certain ones think they know everything. But after it's all over, you know what I mean? And he just, all oh, the black people, all it's, it's your fault that you're in this position and what. I snapped out on him. I just like, I went in on a dude. And, and, and after, after he left, Adrian, I was so fucking angry. Juan was like, here, here's a shot. I was like, Juan, I'm so, he's like, he's like, boss, he's like, boss, you shaking, man. I was like, I'm so fucking angry that I don't, I don't even know what to do with myself right now. Mm -hmm. And I looked up at the, I looked up at the uh, TVs and I seen how it was going. I was like, yo, I'm about to go home, man. He's like, you think she's going to get it? I'm like, no, nah, he got it. Yeah, because you can just tell, yeah, yeah, the numbers wasn't allowing for that, no. Yeah, and then the people that were in there, 
Uh, I think they were University of Chicago students. Uh, they were like local businessmen. Like there were different people that were in there at the bar at the time. And, and some of them knew me and they was like, oh, you think he gonna win it? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that's this is too close. It's too wow. close. But then I also said, I said, we also got to consider the electoral college because they could throw their hat in at any time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I left. And I, I and then when I woke up the next morning, I got on the bus. The normal people that I seen, their faces was like drooping and they were sad and everything. And I'm on there, hey, what's going on? Hey, how y'all doing? How you doing? It was like, you ain't see what happened? <laughs> Yes, done. Done. Now we, got, now we got it. But see, that's when we should have been resolved to vote when? Mid-elections. And I don't see why people don't get that. Those mid-elections and those other interim elections are very important. And we miss it. Yeah. So I agree. I do. I, I agree with you as well, but I'll say this too. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that plagues us have never been changed with any president, have it? Yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I don't agree. The only thing that I really have felt older, though, is my taxes. I, the, the federal taxes, and, and, and when I have to do taxes, I have been plagued under this damn president. Okay. Pretty much anything else. But even locally, we're getting pounced. Because it's so much debt, they're hitting us with taxes for everything. And so anything that we want to do, grocery shopping, all of these taxes on everything, it's hitting us even when we think it's not. Yeah. You know, so even when you get a raise, you really don't have a raise. You don't. Because the taxes are eating you up. And it's just that it's it's beneficial. These people that have tax breaks like Trump paying $750 in taxes, that's very insulting for everybody that works. Because yes. how does that happen? I don't care if you have the best accountant. IRS, that's some bullshit. Like, like I'm not accepting that on no level. And if you were black and something other, your ass would be in jail. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, they, they would find a way to get you. So yeah. it's not about him being smarter. You yes. know, it, it, that's that's also that inequitable piece, you know. So I, it, it's just, it's mind boggling to me. So, yeah. But I agree. I do agree with you. Like, historically, on a larger level, the impact of the presidency is not as impactful as those local elections and decisions. Yeah. You know, but, but that with all the other stuff, then it's it's just like a lose lose. Have you ever been talking to anyone and they bring up the argument that Abraham Lincoln freed black people? Sure. Yeah, you have they don't throw all the other ones in there too. And I always tell people as a e- ELA teacher, it's thought, uh, words, it's actions and motivations. Abraham Lincoln, whatever he put into writing, it wasn't because he had a good heart. Abraham Lincoln did that because that's what the rest of the world 
was doing. And he understood, in part, <laughs> the United States could not be continued, considered what we are being lock and step with something that other nations are doing away with. Now, he might have had some other motivations, but that surely was one of them. Um, the other part was because of uh, the whole North and South, the Civil War and all that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Black people weren't free because of, huh? Yeah, I said that's more secondary. Uh-huh. Black people weren't free because somebody said, oh, man, they're human beings. It had more to do with a business idea than yeah. anything. The yeah. People, I was the, the Southern, the Southern folks were so rich that the North folks couldn't compete or something like that. Or I, forgot, I, think, I forgot how it go. I forgot how it went, but it would have it had more to do with like a business, like a business idea, you know. And and then I think it also dealt with in part. You got these people that you got on the front lines that's fighting, and they're enslaved. How does that look? So so you you ain't gonna never do nothing about slavery, but then because these white folks. They're getting killed or whatever happened or refusing to go, then you put black men on the front line. Very front. You you had that too. Yeah. You know, and then especially the North versus the South, really, the North wouldn't have won without them black folks. Correct. Once again, you know, so I just and 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 the sad thing is even when they were free, they weren't free. No. Motherfuckers didn't believe they was free and didn't carry themselves as such. Just how we don't believe that we're kings and queens and we don't carry ourselves as such. Just like we, we still, a lot of us are still living in bondage, in slavery mentality. Yeah. Free, but we, we don't act like it. Yeah. You know, um, it's a huge domino effect, and that um, the impact on our mindset. That shit is still being felt today. And I don't know how we could shake that. I mean, individually, people are shaking it. But as a collective, we showing our ass. Yeah. And it seems like. I don't know the answer. Seems like some of them get dumber, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's no. Listen, it's frowned upon to be a reader. It's frowned upon to seek knowledge from places that are. Um, respectful or places that not even respectful that's the wrong word where the knowledge is coming from a place that you can trust it trusted yeah. sources yeah um and everybody just i mean we just we do operate on a system of dumb you know and, and we believe that everything that's on social media is real and true well the people that are making it and doing it they don't even subscribe to those things the movers and the shakers of the world, they ain't fucking on no damn Facebook or Instagram. They're not. They about their business. People that are successful, they be about their craft. They learn, they read, they do. They, they are grinders. You know, every now and then you get a few that can navigate through the cracks and cracks and make themselves, you know, relevant and make money. But the average person that's making it, they grind it yeah. and they learn it and they're growing, you know, and they're not on no nonsense. So I don't know, friend, we got a long way to go. I'm still hopeful, but we, I, I, to your point, we've got to understand really what voting is and do something more locally. I think, you know, with the voting piece, 
but also what are we doing to make our communities better? So you said this earlier, getting back to what you used to do, that grassroots stuff. Yeah. It worked for us. Yeah. And if we're all doing it, then I think we'll see something different. It's sad when people, when you hear that, you know, oh, you, oh, you think you white because you're reading a book. Crazy. Or they, they call you a nerd or a geek because you're reading and then I had to tell one young man, I said, do you, do you know that the world is run by nerds and geeks? Mm-hmm. Like, the world is run by nerds and geeks. The smarter people are the ones who are the engineers and, and they have the money. You know what I mean? I said, they have the power to do what they want because they, they created something that you need, something that I need. You know, they were able to do these things. So I told them, always, always read. Never stop reading because somebody tell you that 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 you're a geek, that you're a nerd, or you think you're white. Mm-hmm. Continue to read, continue to educate yourself, because the more the more information you can take in, the better you can do for yourself and some of the people around you. Right. you know, reading, reading is a very big integral part of everyone's life, or it should be. Um, I know for, for reading, it was one, one of my inspirations to travel, mm-hmm. to, to go to Haiti, to go to the, the Dominican Republic. You're right. Mm-hmm. Those, those were my those that's those that's my inspiration or aspirations came from like mm-hmm. if i had not read about my history or about the history of black people or africans and ind- indigenous people i would not have been like hmm mm-hmm. i'm curious about that let me go here let me go there let me let me check out this i gotta go there you know but it's crazy too when you talk about talk to your own people about these things they make you seem like a weirdo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, this is stuff that you should actually know. Like, you should have, when someone says Black power, like, you should understand what that is. It's right. the contribution of your ancestors from the past mm-hmm. to now. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what, for me, that's part of what Black power represents. It's everything that we've done and continue to do. Right. You know what I mean? But to sit there and have someone telling you that you can't, like you shouldn't read that's the stupidest that's the stupidest thing ever you need to read everybody should be reading that's some lazy shit like that lazy shit of just wanting to be told something like you tell me something or anybody tell me something i'll file it away in my memory i might even type it out so that i can remember and go back to it and read up on it yeah you know what i'm saying because my pastor, God rest his soul, he always said that you should not take what I say at face value. Do your own research. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that it's anything wrong with it. And then knowledge is at our, it's at our fingertips. Yeah. You know, valuable sources, it's no excuse. So sometimes we like to live in a land of ignorance and I don't know, because then that's going to be my fallout. I don't know. And uh, that's that's the other issue. Other folks, and I hate to compare us to other folks, other groups, they will read. They will pick up a book. They will learn about you inside and out and then use the shit against you. <laughs> you know, so I just, we just got to get better at that. I, I, don't know. Yeah. I, I know people become, oh, you conscious, you conscious. I'm like, bro. I just educated myself. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if you call it conscious or being awake. Like I just felt like there was a need for me to learn about 
my people. Like, what, what's, what's so wrong with that? And I said, the problem is that makes you uh, a person who is, you know, on a quest for knowledge about self. Yeah. yeah constantly. Constantly on a quest for knowledge. And for, for someone to say that, it, it, it makes no sense. But then to be trying to give them the information to not just empower themselves, but make them feel proud of who they are. Like, mm-hmm. hey, did you know that we went to Spain mm-hmm. and we built everything that they had? Like, that was us that did that? Mm-hmm. Man, I mean, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. Look, bro, here go a book right here that says it. I ain't, I ain't no reader. I ain't no reader, you weird ass nigga. Like, dude, you should read. You should right. find out more about yourself. You know the bad thing about people like that is you could tell them a thousand times they should read and they never will. And they will still just mock you for being yeah. a reader. And they'll still be stupid and you'll still be learning and growing. Yeah, and the sad part is that some of them will get on online or on Facebook or on one of these sites and post something that sounds like it came from me or something that they might have heard someone else say. But then when you open, try to open up the topic and talk about it, they can't because they didn't read. They just took something that somebody else said. A surface level understanding is what I call it, or a cursory level understanding. Ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Ridiculous. I agree. Well, I don't want to hold you for too much longer. Oh, well, this was fun. Yep. We can do it again whenever. Yep, I like this. This is fun. Thank you, friend. Now I can go and cook dinner, I guess. Shouldn't let me hold you for, for so long because you know I can sit here and talk, man. <laughs> this was fun though. <laughs> I appreciate it. You have to let me know when the next time we're gonna do this. Yeah, that's what <clears throat> that's why I schedule them. I got people telling me they didn't know and all this. I'm like, man, you gave me the email. How did you not know? Yeah, that's why I was like, yeah, yeah, the email is there. And I made sure that I did. I knew I knew October 3rd. So I did my errands, like I said yesterday, and kind of chilled to watch the little football, um, cleaning my place. So still working on that kind yeah, of Yeah, I got people telling me, oh, I, I forgot. Or it's like, it's a reminder, like, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. you know. People do what they want to do. I always say that for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. People hear what they want to hear. They see what they want to see. So if you did decided that you didn't want to do it, that's fine. That's That's how it is. They didn't, they didn't forget, you know, because even professionally, you shouldn't have to give people 10 reminders. No. It's not because if it's something that people want to do, they do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, friend. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Until next time. Until next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Love you.